You have downloaded the Fun Palace Radio Variety Show. I'm Jacob Zimmer, the Fun Palace's official steward. On behalf of the Fun Palace, I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'd like to thank Cedric for editing and hosting this podcast. We hope and expect that there will be more soon. May your days be filled with the variety you deserve. Enjoy the show. Come and listen into a radio station where the mighty hosts of people go. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you want to hear the sound of the Fun Palace Radio Variety Show. On this episode, songs from Colin Fisher, Fiverr, and Stuart Legere, Questions in the Dark with city researcher David Holchansky, and Chapter 3 of The Mysterious Death of W.B. Welcome back to our third podcast. I'm Cedric Littlewood, and I received a note from the Fun Palace. It reads, By be yourself, perhaps we meant to introduce yourself. Not everything needs to be mysterious. Which is a little rich coming from them, but all right. I am a sound designer and musician. Mostly I compose background music for science documentaries. It's going pretty well, but I still have some time on my hands. So a few weeks ago, I posted a Craigslist ad saying I was looking for a bit more work. The next day, I found a manila envelope at the door with a thumb drive and a number of Visa gift cards. Obviously intrigued and slightly concerned, I discovered the thumb drive to contain audio files and a readme.txt file. The README file asked me personally to make a podcast with the audio and to release it as the Fun Palace Radio Variety Show. The gift cards should be valuable enough to cover my time, they said, and they were right. So I made the podcast. A few days after the first episode was released, another envelope with another thumb drive and more gift cards arrived. This is now a pattern. I'm not sure what else to say. I'm still a bit puzzled myself about who the Fun Palace is, why they chose me, and what this variety of segments they send me all mean. Maybe these things will become clearer as we continue. Onwards, then. Fiverr is the solo project of Toronto-born singer and songwriter Simon Schmidt, known for fronting The Highest Order and the acclaimed country outfit $100. She sings for us the bluegrass traditional, Rank Strangers. I ventured again To my home in the mountains Where in life's early days I was happy and free I looked for my friends But nowhere could find them 
I found they were all rank strangers to me. Everybody I met seemed to be a rank stranger. No mother nor dad. Nor a friend did I see. I knew not their name, and I knew not their faces. I found they were all rank strangers to me. They've all moved away. Said the voice of a stranger to a beautiful land by the bright crystal sea. One day I will go. Heaven and find them where no one will be. Rank stranger to me. Everybody I met seemed to be a rank stranger. No mother. Fiber performing "Rank Strangers" at the Monarch Tavern. Also at the Monarch, the Fun Palace conducted another session of "Questions in the Dark." This time with David Holchansky, a professor at the University of Toronto and author of "The Three Cities Within Toronto," an influential research paper about income inequality in the city of Toronto. I recommend you switch off all the lights and listen to this interview in the dark. And. Um. So the next section is is the interview section of of the Fun Palace. For the interview section, we we like to do something a little different. Um, I'm going to invite invite our guests up, and then we'll we'll get into the different part. Um, so please welcome a uh, uh, researcher and and writer, Mr. David Holchansky. Okay. Since this is the radio, and we wanted to to sort of match. Match radioness. Uh, we do we do what we call questions in the dark, which is aptly named because we are now going to try to turn out as many lights here as possible. Okay, that's good. Yeah. All right, that's pretty good. We're pretty dark. Um, if you need it to be more dark for yourself, you can close your eyes. Um, 
Sometimes I, I actually, I like doing this section with my eyes closed, David. So if, if you want to close your eyes. Well, okay, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote, I know about you because you wrote a thing called, the, or a, a paper sort of entitled Three Cities, Toronto Three Cities. Um, what, which are the three cities? Well, we played around with how to name them, and uh, right. any name is pejorative, sort of, right? Right. But looking at the trends from 1970 to today, uh, there's 40% of the city going down in socioeconomic status, income right. and, and all that, 25% going up dramatically. I don't so, know those people, but yes. So you hear in the news about the growing inequality and uh, income polarization, and all we did was map it for Toronto over time and look at the trends. So city number three is the 40% going down. City number one is the 25% going up. And that city in between, number two, is disappearing. So we are sharply uh, dividing ourselves, polarizing ourselves. Since... Since 1970? Well, well, the census from 1970 to 2006 has been similar and, and, and very good and very solid. And so we, since, so since, we traced it from that period. And, and was there a point when it got more extreme in that, in that tracing, or has it been evenly oh, happening? No, great question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> 1990 is sort of a turning point. Uh, we have a series of maps, 1970, 80, 90, and then 95. 1990 uh, to 2000 is when things really changed a lot. And think about it. That's when our factories, unionized factory jobs, began disappearing. Right. That's when we begin using a term called the working poor. Right. Uh, I never heard of that term when I was in university. We, it didn't exist. Right? Right. So uh, minimum wage jobs, jobs without benefits, and I guess I'm sort of naive, I'm a bit older, to hear now in the recent couple of years a discussion about uh, unpaid internships. That, yeah. that was, was just shocking that that, uh, that that goes on, but that is what is going on. And, and so what we have today, which everybody knows, but we simply put it on a map for now for uh, eight different Canadian uh, cities, and we're doing a comparison with Chicago to see how Toronto and Chicago compare. Um, all we're doing is showing sort of where it lives. Right. right. And so, where, where in Toronto, uh, like where, where does, so, where does so, City 2 still well, for, have any okay, ground? Okay, for people who know Toronto, uh, think of the Young Street subway line. Okay. So almost everything along the Young Street subway line is high income because okay. it starts that way. Rosedale is there and right. neighborhoods like that, Forest Hill. Uh, and then the condominiums that have been built over the last 10 years uh, on the southern end of the uh, Young Line. Uh, and then along Bloor Street, sort of south of Danforth, south of Bloor a little bit, uh, and central Etobicoke was always uh, sort of like Rosedale. Uh, right. Very nice houses. So that is city number one. To answer your question, that's easy to say. What's, that's city number one. City right. number three, though, is uh, uh, northern Etobicoke, parts of North York, and almost all of Scarborough except for along the lakefront. Right. That's city number three. So then city number two is just in between those two. 
And every five years, so when we have a good census, we see that city number two is getting smaller. City number two sort of doesn't matter. In 1970, all of the city of Toronto was something like 60 or 70 percent middle-income census tracts. It would be it's city number two, two right? right? And now city number two hardly exists. And unless these things are reversed, uh, uh, city two won't ex- exist. So you have this, uh, in fact, multiracial, uh, almost non-white, <laughs> city right. number three, and. Uh, uh, Jacob, yeah. do you, from my report, do you remember how, what percent of uh, city number one is is white? Is white? Wait, white. I'm going to go with. I don't remember, but, no, but my 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 <laughs> my guess will be ninety. Ninety percent. Ninety percent says Fun Palace steward Jacob Zimmer. How close was he? Keep listening to learn the answer when we return to part two of Questions in the Dark later in this podcast. Right now, we'll enjoy a musical interlude courtesy of Stuart Legere. Stuart is a musician and actor based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where he works with Zupa Theatre Company, the Accidental Mechanics Group, and the Heavy Blinkers. You can find Stuart on Twitter at Stuart Legere, S-T-E-W-A-R-T-L-E-G-E-R-E. Here he's singing, Where Have All the Flowers Gone? A classic folk song written by Pete Seeger. I was asked to play two songs, one that I wrote and one that I didn't. So I'll start with the one I didn't, which will become abundantly clear as soon as I start singing. Soldiers, everyone, when will 
Quite a lovely rendition of that Pete Seeger song, performed by Stuart Legere at the Rhubarb Festival at Buddies in Bad Times Theatre. I'm not quite old enough to remember the era that song is from, although, as it happens, my parents went to the original Woodstock Festival, and all I got was this lousy tie-dyed t-shirt. And when I say lousy, I mean it really was covered in lice. <clears throat> anyway, uh... Now let's return to Questions in the Dark with urban specialist David Holchansky, where we'll find out whether the percentage of white people in Toronto's highest income areas, the so-called city number one, is, as Jacob Zimmer guessed, 90%. Okay, you're a little pessimistic, but but wait, no, it's 80%. It, yes, yeah, okay. still terrible, but so, yes. All, and, and, it's, uh, we, we, and Toronto has a uh, black population of around 8 or 9%. Right. And city number one has a black population of 2%. So almost right. nobody in that 20% of the city have, have black neighbors, and few have uh, anything but European origin white uh, neighbors. Did this data make you sad? <laughs> I, it, it's terrible that, that I have to present this, yes. Is there a positive side? To under, understand how we got here, right? That, that, that's really important. Remember I said 1990? 
Yeah. We did yeah. all kinds of things. I, I always blame Reagan, but 90 years later. Oh, uh, okay. Like Reagan and Mulroney Reagan singing together. And, Reagan and Thatcher. Right? Yeah. And we had Brian Mulroney. And he went in that direction. Remember free, the free trade yeah. election and the free trade debate. I had, but, a, I had a shirt that said, Free Canada, Trade Mulroney. Yeah. The, <laughs> you free trade him to... Yeah. Any place. Right? <laughs> Anywhere. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. But it's in the 90s we begin to see the impacts of it, and it shows up in the census. Right. 90, 95, oh. especially 2000, right. it really shows up, uh, the, the dramatic change. Trickle down but, takes a while. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and it, hap- <laughs> but it, happened, it happened quickly. Remember in Ontario, 1995, electing uh, uh, the conservative Mike, Mike Harris, Harris government. Nothing ever went And else. he yeah. kept his promises, as he said he would. <laughs> I'm going to cut welfare by 21%, and he did right. uh, within months. Uh, there were some 17,000 social housing units approved to be built by the Ontario government. Uh, if you weren't far enough out of the ground, you were canceled, and there's been no right. new. Right? We get, we get uh, McGinty, who then gets elected on a very progressive platform uh, in his first election and does not do any of it. Right? It's the and then we know yeah. the story, right, yeah. further on. Talk left, so, act, right. wait, what happened, happened year by year by year, both in the labor market, in the housing market, uh, and in social benefits, but also in not paying attention to discrimination. Up until the 1980s, Toronto was mainly a white city. Right. We are now 50-50, 50% white, 50%. We call it visible minority, uh, you know, Which other than... It's not, right? yeah. yeah. Visible Vis- majority Vis- is Vis- what become, right. Yeah. right, visible ma- majority is, is right, yes. And yet we don't talk about discrimination. We've got everything solved. Oh, it's yes. It's like, it's perfect well, now. Well, wait, so you're, you're, you're wrong, but, <laughs> but, but wait, in, in the media, yes. you're, you're right, because, wait, because people compare... Uh, conservatives especially like to compare ourselves to the United States. We're right. Better, so we're, we're better than we're the better terrible, than you, terrible country. To we're better than the United States in almost every measure. But we are worse in every measure compared to Western Europe. Our comparators in Western Europe, Germany, France, right. Denmark, Netherlands, and of course Scandinavia. One last question. Leave us with hope. Um, <laughs> what what could change the way that those trend lines are, are going? Uh, if they keep going, it is really bad. Right? We, we have a... So, the apocalypse. The apocalypse could no, no, change no. how things are going. No, we will, we will, we will have a, a much larger but still small, uh, very well-off group. Uh, group, fr- frankly, professors yep. and, and other professionals, oh, and then everybody else, and everybody else. Well, that's not sustainable, and it's not sustainable now. Uh, we had the Occupy movement, uh, and some people say, well, what did it do and all that? Well, it placed economic inequality on the agenda globally, okay? Mm-hmm. It, it, it did that very solidly. In fact, when it came out, I said to myself, uh, I, when I first heard 99% and 1%, I said, well, maybe, it, maybe they should have done 95% and 5%. <laughs> wait, wait. No, no, wait. Yeah, yeah because I, I, I did not. You know, I'm engaged in this, right? But I did not realize how much the 1% 
And we now know right. that the one-tenth of one percent are taking annually of our incomes, and then of wealth is just way um, huge, right. right? Much more huge. But they're taking 11 or 12 percent now, and they used to take 8 percent uh, 10 years ago. In Denmark, they somehow the top 1 percent live on 5 percent. Of How the do they do income. it? I have no idea. But I mean, it's, there's, there's it's research, so noble of that. There's research going on to try to figure that out, right? Right. In, in the United <laughs> States. They, How they survive on only 5% of, 5 of, of, of the income national income. Right. Uh, in the United States, it's 20%. The 1% now take 20% of the national income. So something has to give. The apocalypse or the revolution? We see it all the time, and globally, people resisting various forms of tyranny, whether it's in Hong Kong these days, Mm -hmm. of not even having a freedom to elect uh, a government, and... uh, uh, but but uh, around the world, in the Western world, more and more people are uh, are know what's going on. That's really important. Right. All right. Thank you very much. You depressed me a little, but but I like revolution, so <laughs> we can start a riot. Thank you very much, David Holchensky, <laughs> answering questions in the dark. Well, there you have it, folks. Things are really screwed up, and no one seems to have an answer. Thank you, urban studies professor and doomsayer, David Holchansky. I had to pour myself a couple stiff drinks while listening to that, so please excuse me if I slur my words a bit here. Actually, it seems quite suitable for what's up next. Chapter 3 of the Fun Palace's surreal radio serial, The Mysterious Death of W.B. Last chapter, literary detective Gabriel Novus had a gun pulled on him by a stranger in the alleyway. If you haven't heard it, maybe you should pause and go back and listen to it from the beginning in episode one. Go ahead, I'll just wait for you here. Okay, welcome back. I wonder what happens now. Ladies and gentlemen, the Fun Palace players are proud to present... Chapter 3 of The Mysterious Death of W.B. Previously on The Mysterious Death of W.B., approached by people claiming to be associates of the obscure writer Walter Benjamin, Gabriel Novus reluctantly agreed to take the case of finding Benjamin's missing manuscript. Novus had visited an old friend of Benjamin's and got his door slammed on his coat. On the walk home... Please don't turn around, Air Novus. I would rather not shoot you. Well, that makes zwei of us. Good. You've been asking about a manuscript from a certain writer. When one has a gun pointed at one's back by a stranger, I've always found short, truthful answers to be the best option. Yes. Where is it? I wish I knew. This is not the time for lies, Ernovus. No, no, it is not. I asked questions but got no answers. This certain writer left Paris a few months ago, possibly for America. That's all I know. You're lucky. I believe you. Keep looking. I'll be in touch later. Well, I didn't exactly feel lucky. I didn't exactly feel the handle of the gun hit the back of my head either. I had a sense of my knees buckling, hitting the ground. Out of the white light in my eyes, 
I was suddenly halfway up a ladder running all the way from heaven to earth. On the other side of the ladder, inches away from me, was the pudgy face of Walter Benjamin himself. Good evening, Mr. Novus. You seem to have found me. It is unfortunate that we must meet in this way. It is a terribly difficult climb. I find, however, if you'll permit me to offer some advice, that if you travel for ten minutes at a time, then rest for a minute or so, the exertion becomes bearable. I must make this last trip, you see. I have this briefcase. I cannot risk losing it. It is the manuscript that must be saved. It is more important than I am. My minute is up, Mr. Novus, and I regretfully ask that you permit me to take leave of you now. It was then that I became aware that my face was in a puddle of water in an alleyway in Paris, and that the back of my head was bleeding. The next morning, my head still hurt from the heel of the Kraut's gun, though it might have been the bottle I drank so I didn't fall asleep too fast. I put on some coffee, poured myself a drink, and the combination cleared my head a little. More than just me and the kids were looking for Benjamin in the manuscript. Whoever sent that thug knew I was looking and wanted me to keep looking, hoping I would lead them to whatever Benjamin knew. The more I thought about it, the more I told myself I should really just walk away from the whole mess. No pile of papers, no matter who'd written what on them, was worth playing with guns. I told myself I'd give the kids back their money and try to set out this war. But somehow, I found myself back at the library. Gabe. George. You're looking a little worn, my friend. Yeah, rough night. Anything I can do? Start serving drinks yet? No. Yeah, no, I didn't think so. Not for the first time or the last, I heard myself saying things I told myself not to. George, listen. Shh! Ah, it's that guy again. I think I'm going to take a little trip. Spain, maybe. Maybe Casablanca. Maybe even back to the States. Maybe to the Resistance. Mm. Yeah. I don't want my books heating anyone's rallies, if you understand. Consider them a donation. Here. Here's some francs for the trouble. Oh, that's fine, Gabe. Hey, board up the windows, too, would you? Make it clear I'm gone? You want me giving a forwarding address? No, I'd rather you didn't. I figured, but I thought I'd ask. Yeah, well, see you, George. Keep your head down, and thanks. Hey, Gabe. You ain't going to look for Benjamin, are you? No. I'm letting that go. Just don't like the Fuhrer's haircut, is all. (laughs) Yeah, stick to that. There's an etching of an angel looking as though he is about to move away from something he is fixedly contemplating. His eyes are staring, his mouth is open, his wings are spread. This is how one pictures the angel of history. His face is turned towards the past. Where we perceive a chain of events, he sees one single catastrophe which keeps piling wreckage upon wreckage and hurls it in front of his feet. The angel would like to stay, awaken the dead, make whole what has been smashed. But a storm is blowing from paradise. Gabe, you all right? Yeah, sorry, just felt the chill come upon me. Oh, well, in that case... You might want to go through Lords. Others have gone that way. South, huh? Hey, thanks, George. Take care. Yeah, you too. So Benjamin had gone to Lords. 
Probably not to stay, but it was a start. I went home and packed. My 38, a couple of shirts, a paperback, and a bottle. Took the money from the kids and headed to the train station. Buying a ticket wasn't so easy anymore, but I had enough cash to make it go okay. So, I was going to Lourdes. But I had to stop along the way. I had to pay a visit to Hannah Arendt's. And that concludes chapter three of The Mysterious Death of... That concludes chapter three of The Mysterious Death of WB. Will Novus find what he's looking for before even more wreckage piles up? Join us next month for the Fun Palace Radio Variety Show to find out. The Mysterious Death was performed by the Fun Palace players Becky Johnson, Christopher Stanton, and Susanna Fournier. Directed by Mr. Chris Earl, Piano and Other Things by Jonathan... Ajemian, Almost No Anxiety, Knobs, Computers, and, and Other Things by Richard Farron, written and hosted by me, Jacob Zimmer. Thank you very much. Ah, so the Fun Palace sound designer's surname is pronounced Farron. I'll try to remember that for next time. Also, I looked up some of those quotations, the ones we hear in that echoey voice, and apparently they are drawn directly from Walter Benjamin's writings. I'll put a link in the show notes in case you want to look them up yourself. And now, we have one final piece of music to close out this episode. Multi-instrumentalist and composer Colin Fisher is an active voice in the improvised and creative music community in North America. His group, I Have Eaten the City, is an improvising trio who I assume are no longer hungry. They currently have four independently released CDs, and Colin also has a CD for sale. As always, you can learn more details about these guest artists by browsing the Fun Palace website, funpalace.ca. This is Colin Fisher, improvising on Charlie Hayden's Chairman Mao, recorded live at Double Double Land in Toronto's Kensington Market. I hope to speak to you again soon. You can follow the Fun Palace on Twitter at Fun Palace Radio, and my account is underscore C. Littlewood.
Thank you for listening. You can find the Fun Palace at funpalace.ca or wherever good podcasts are found. Go forth. Have fun. Multiply variety. Multiply variety.